Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. I'm excited to be talking about this topic today. I'm going to talk about the negative, the positive, a little bit about the economy, business, and some of the adjustments that we can make going forward. You know, I think it's one thing to acknowledge when there are problems in the world, to recognize the challenges that are out there and not turn a blind eye to things for the sake of being positive. But that said, I believe you can also learn how to be positive in a negative world. And I think that's something that each of us on an individual level have to figure out. I know we're all wired differently. Some people are more emotional than others. Others are more analytical. But when things are negative, things are negative. And it can be hard to put a positive spin on a very negative situation and still be realistic about it. I think that's the balance right there. That said, I can say from personal experience, every time in my life that I've fixated on the problems, the problems seem to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, consuming my thought time, affecting my ability to think clearly. And I think that if you think about in your own life, the times that you fixated on the problem, that basically the same thing happened. The problem became bigger in your mind and it became more uh, damaging, not just in the problem area itself, but it began to affect other areas of your life as well. So when we look at the economy and we look at what's happening in the world today, we see one negative thing after another. Now, the other day I heard that auto payment delinquencies, in other words, you have a a payment on a car, a truck, delinquencies are currently at a decade high. Now, a few episodes ago, I was talking about how consumer credit card debt had surpassed $1 trillion. In other words, we had a a record high in 2023, never before recorded since they've been recording debt, credit card unsecured debt at an all-time high. So when we look at auto payment delinquencies currently at a decade high, I think we can see why. And also coupled with that, currently, now I'm recording this in September, 2023. So we're about three quarters of the way through the year. But credit card delinquencies the other day were announced at 38.2%. Now, just that number really hit me pretty hard because 38.2%, that is an incredibly high number. And if you think about auto payment delinquencies at an all-time high and credit card debt at an all-time high, why do you think Let's just talk about credit cards for a moment. Why do you think these numbers are the way they are? Well, number one, the cost of living has become so unmanageable for many people that they're no longer in a position where they're capable of paying cash for many things. Now, I'm going to talk about the negative here, and my goal isn't for you to fixate on this. It's not to get you down. It's not even to get you mad. I personally believe that regardless of what political party is in control, I personally believe we'd be in the same situation today. I'm not not saying that I'm not like an apologist for Democrats or Republicans. I'm personally an independent as far as politics go. But I, I believe, and the reason why I believe that way is because if you look at the debt, 
since the United States went off the gold standard in the Nixon era, with one um, exception, we've just been adding debt upon debt upon debt. And just like anything else, you know, the more of anything there is, the less valuable it becomes. The less of anything there is, the more valuable it becomes. And so as we continue to print more money, more money, more money, and spend more money, more money, more money, then it becomes uh, impossible at a certain point to be able to get back to a place of balance again, I guess you would say. And so we have so much money out there. The money is currently being devalued. And now I want to also add this in here. I talked about a recession coming. And I want you to forget about the words recession and depression even. Just forget about those because those are just labels the media puts on conditions. So, for example, if you're in your 20s, you might be living through a depression right now. Because the average person in their 20s is living at poverty level. If you are over 70 right now, then you may be living in your own recession slash depression already. Because Social Security income aside, most retired people do not have enough money to live comfortably with the current rate of inflation, the current cost of goods, and all of those other things combined. And so that's the reality of the situation today. Forget about percentages. Forget about labels. Just look at the reality all around you. We see more poverty today than we've seen in the past. And that's all measurable. And it just didn't appear suddenly over, uh, let's say, the last few years. It's been growing over time. Now, those are the realities of the situation that we're looking in. And I just wanted to put that out there because I want to look now at business and your business in particular. Let's talk about that because in the big scheme of things, when we know what we're dealing with, when we know what the challenges are, at that point, there's no longer a need to fixate on the fact that there's a lot of debt out there, that people are living in poverty. Because we have to focus on what we're capable of doing in our own lives and our own individual situations. And if you're a business owner, you have more avenues available to you than probably 95% of all of the people that fit into the other categories that we might be looking at as far as uh, finances go. Now, some people are just born into better situations than others. But the thing that's a little bit um, troubling is the fact that our education system does not teach entrepreneurship. It does not teach self-reliance. It does not teach many of the critical skills that people need today in order to not only thrive, but to survive. And without those skills, a lot of people come out of school and they're just learning by trial and error. Even the institutions that people may come out of school and become part of do not offer the same security going forward into the future as they did in the past. So my thinking was, I want to be aware of what's happening in the economy in general, what the threats are on the near horizon, and how those threats may affect my business, and what steps can I take to ensure that I don't take a direct hit from the hurricane, so to speak. I'm using the hurricane as an analogy because I live here in the state of Florida. We're used to seeing those kinds of threats coming through and having to make adjustments to them. So as far as the business and financial world goes, I don't want to get hit by a Category 5. 
I want to make the adjustments. Maybe I have to move to a new location. Maybe I have to move to a higher ground, so to speak. I'm using analogies here. Maybe I have to change what I'm selling. But I decided to start with some of the things that I was already familiar with and do some deeper research over the past week. So um, let's talk about courses and ebooks as a product that people like you and I are known to make people in the digital world and digital business space. And what type of trends are shaping up in that industry? Well, when we talk about things like um, learning platforms, mobile learning, hybrid learning, all of that, going forward into the future, all of those things appear to have growth projections moving forward. And that was a good thing when I heard that. Now, just hearing about that, hearing people discuss that, and knowing the experiences of individuals that I know, and my own experiences myself, I do hesitate slightly um, when looking at those projections. However, let me just add some more information on this, and it'll kind of flesh it out better. For example, ebook sales are on the rise, and ebook sales revenue is estimated to reach $4.23 billion by the end of this year. Now, the number of ebook users, for example, in the United States is estimated to reach, uh, I think, 95 or 96 million this year. And the global revenue in ebooks in general is forecasted to continue to grow between 2023, where we are now, and 2027. So, and if we look at the e-learning market as a whole, the demand for digital content, things like courses and ebooks, is expected to remain high. And we're looking at almost 400 billion, which was made in 2022, and it's estimated to grow by 14% over the next decade. Now, that's a decade's worth of growth. So we're looking at what um, just a hair over one uh, percent a year. Right, because 10% would be 1% a year over a decade. So, um, courses, the market for courses, the, more, the market for ebooks, it's not going anywhere. It's going to continue to grow. However, I would put an asterisk there, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Before we go any further, today's episode is sponsored by the Digital Strategies Newsletter and the One to Many System. These are two of my very own marketing resources. The Digital Strategist Newsletter is my monthly newsletter. It's released at the end of every month, usually on the 23rd or the 24th. It's absolutely free. You can check it out now. Back issues are available there for free at jimsnewsletter.com. And the one-to-many system is my big course. This program gives you a complete scalable marketing strategy and system. It works in any niche with any topic, and this will help you bring the entire picture together. It's the culmination of my 25 plus years of doing business online. That's available at one-to-many-system.com. Okay, now getting back to this topic of ebook growth, for example, let's look at the common price points. Because yes, ebooks are growing, but the little the little caveat there is the average price that people are willing to spend for an ebook is three dollars and ninety-nine cents. So that if you look at that, how many ebooks selling them at $3.99, would you have to sell in order to make a full-time living? Okay, I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm just saying that that's the reality of the situation. Now, paperback novels, for example, that are considered to be um, considerable size, like thick paperback books, 
the current price point is between $13.95 and $17.95. Now, I thought that was kind of interesting because I don't buy paperback books anymore, very, very seldom. Um, but that sounds like it's quite a bit. I think I would spend $3.99 to have the book on my Kindle then, or you know, on, on my desktop before I would spend between $14 and $18 for a paperback. Now, for online courses, the price varies widely, widely, I mean, just really widely, but many courses, if we looked at the, the common price points, and there's going to be some variance here, currently that are out there, we could price them on the low end of $10 to the high end of $350. Now, of course, there are courses out there that are thousands of dollars, and they still sell but these aren't, aren't common, these aren't the kind of business models that are common right now. And you know, even if you're in the most crowded niche, that doesn't mean that you can't survive and do well and or even thrive. For example, the niche that I'm in now, thank God I haven't been affected at all by any type of downturn. But I don't assume anything. I don't assume that everything's going to continue to be as it was going into 2024. And I don't make projections two or three years based down the line based on what's happening today, meaning that I don't see any problems. I see threats, plenty of threats, but I'm not experiencing any direct problems. However, I don't assume that it will continue to be that way. Does that make sense? Now, the most common price points today, I was telling you about the average prices of courses, but the most common price points that people are spending money on courses is between $10 and $50. And those are for most of part smaller courses. We could look at Udemy courses. There's a reason why Udemy is so popular. There's a reason why Skillshare is so popular because it's affordable to more people. But smaller courses are averaging between $10 and $50. The most common price point is right around $20. And the most common price point for a full-length course that people are willing to spend money for today is $100. Now, again, that doesn't mean you can't sell a course for $10,000 or $5,000. It just means it's going to take a whole lot more effort because this is what the market is saying is the acceptable price range. This is what people are currently spending. And we're talking about an open market. We're talking about a free market. Usually the market adjusts itself based on what people value, how much they value, how much money they have, the state of, of the economy overall. So right now, if you go out there today and you say, I'm going to make a smaller course, then I would say if you want to sell more rather than less, then you're going to price it between somewhere between $10 and $50. Or... If you're going to do something bigger, you're looking at like a $100 course. So maybe if you have a really good course, but you really want to sell it, instead of making one sale for a thousand, it might be easier today to make 10 sales of a hundred to get to that same thousand. Now, I know it seems like more work and believe me, in a bad economy, it is more work, right? It does take more effort because people are less willing to part with the money, even those that have it. Okay, now none of these price points are set in stone. Again, we're just talking about averages. Now, part of the reason why this is happening is also because of saturation. When saturation meets debt, when saturation meets inflation, then you've got even more problems compounded, right? You've got declining sales and growth rate. If the overall sales 
and growth rate in a market start to decline, it is a sign that demand is weakening and that the market is becoming oversaturated. Let me just throw that out there again. If you're already making sales, but your sales are declining, it's a sale, it's a sign, excuse me, that growth in the market is starting to decline and it's a sign that demand is weakening. And usually demand weakens when the market becomes oversaturated because this is usually because there's too much similar competition. Next, commoditization. When products become commoditized and compete mostly on price rather than differentiation, it's often a signal, again, of saturation because customers have many undifferentiated options to choose from. So if you go out there today and you decide, well, I want to I want to start a blog. How do I start a blog? Or I want to start an affiliate business, an affiliate business model. So again, let's keep going. Next is shifting consumer preferences. If interest in certain product features, certain product styles or capabilities starts to wane among consumers, it's a suggestion, again, that the market may be saturated, and as a result, consumer needs and wants have changed. Let's talk about blogging because blogging is a great example of this. Now, if you're in blogging, you can succeed. You can make money. However, most people that go into blogging go into a side that's overly saturated. And blogging is just a great example of this because the growth in blogs and blogging traffic has slowed over the years. And while blogs and readers continue to grow, the heyday of the rapid growth has passed because mature markets grow slower than new markets do. And then, of course, we have the many undifferentiated options that are out there. There's millions of blogs covering nearly every topic imaginable right now. And that leaves readers with a sea of overlapping content choices that are available to them. On top of that, there's something called declining reader loyalty. And this applies not only to readers, but to YouTube and people that watch videos because there's so many options that are out there. Readers tend to switch between blogs more frequently rather than stick with favorites as they have in the past. On top of that, ad rates have declined because the supply outpaces the demand. Once that happens, advertising rates on blogs have fallen over time, which makes it more difficult to monetize it because more competition makes it harder for the individual blog to monetize through ads, affiliate revenue, and so on. However, all of that said, that's the reality that most people find themselves in. There is another reality also to counter that, and that is there are opportunities still in the blogging space if you're able to identify an underserved audience. So for example, I know someone who is in the financial space and just finance as a topic has basically been done to death. It's kind of like a lot of other topics. Let's just look at some of the topics that are out there today that would fall under that category of saturation. Leadership is a great example. There's countless books, articles, talks on leadership. It's very broad. It's a very well-covered topic. Entrepreneurship, high-level advice on starting and running a business is abundant. It's been out there for years. The basics have been thoroughly covered. Marketing and sales, general education on marketing and sales fundamentals is available from many, many different sources. Productivity, tips and tactics on improving productivity, again, very saturated, especially for people that are office workers. 
Negotiation is another one. General negotiating skills and strategy have been extensively discussed in business content. Communication skills, again, no shortage of content on improving communication abilities. Time management. Managing time is a classic saturated topic with repetitive advice across authors and mediums. Team building. Activities and theories on teamwork have been widely published, and this area is, again, fairly saturated. Work-life balance, another one. Defining work-life balance and workarounds has become oversaturated content in business. Project management. General project management methodology has been covered extensively across books, membership areas, sites, blogs, and so on. The common thread all of these have is that high business level education on foundational skills. These areas have been covered by many experts over many years, leaving those areas essentially oversaturated. However, there are sub-business topics that are that can fall under these general topics that may be underserved. For example, Let's take leadership for an example. What if there was somebody creating leadership content for first-time managers or for, for a specific kind of manager in a specific kind of business? Would there be opportunity there? Possibly. Now, none of these things are going to seem obvious because if they're obvious, they are probably already have been covered. So again, you may identify something, but you have to take the next step and see if it's viable or not. Here, where I live in the state of Florida, entrepreneurship in the craft beer industry is huge, huger than in any other state. But I'm thinking that craft beer can be brewed anywhere. As far as I know, it doesn't make any difference the the climate that you're doing it in. Everything's controlled anyway by AC. If you're in a hot area, if you're in a cold area, heat. But it's a general niche area that falls under the broader entrepreneurship category. Productivity, again, if you want to really break it down, maybe you you could break it down for people who are shift workers, people that are in this very tailored audience and have a very specific kind of application. If you're going to do time management, maybe you would do time management for attorneys. That's what I'm saying about the some of these topics. Work-life balance, for example, applying it to the single mom or the single parent. And, and we can go on with that. But the key here, the people that are succeeding the most, even though it may have taken them a while to get started and are somewhat late to the game, are those that dig into very specific sub-segments within each of the broader business topics. And that way, they're able to create advice that's tailored for a focused audience. And the application of that information is far less saturated. Now, there is such a thing that you can niche down so narrowly that there's just not enough people there to sustain a profitable business. So this is not something that you're just going to sit down and give yourself 10 minutes of thinking and probably come up with a breakthrough. I'm sure maybe that will happen for someone, but for most people, this is going to take a little bit of digging. Now, I just started digging into this because for my own business, I don't know what the marketing services future looks like. And there's two sides to it from my own vantage point, how I'm looking at it. Number one is I'm not sure how many years I want to continue to be in this aspect of the marketing business. And I'm working with some huge companies now with some very big contracts. And while I like doing that, 
You have to be on your A game all the time to be able to do it successfully, to be able to craft marketing plans and make adjustments and have the data to back them up every 30 days, every 90 days, every quarter, and then to be able to evaluate where you're going over the next year. Those are some of the things that I put my time, effort, and energy into. And the older that I get, in the back of my mind, there is that little voice saying, well, wouldn't it just be nicer to just write a whole bunch of books on the topic, maybe five or 10 of them over the next several years, and that becomes your new business model? It's, it's a one-to-many approach. But on the other hand, when business comes knocking at your door, far be it from me, at least anyway, to turn that business away, especially in a time like we're in now where we don't know How does that old saying go about making hay while the sun is still shining? Well, the sun is shining for me right now, and so I'm taking advantage of it while it's here. Maybe it'll be here for years to come with very little variance. Maybe not. I don't know. And so rather than assume anything, that's how I make my plans. But I also look into these smaller segments that are underserved because from my own experience, it's one thing to have... Imagine this, you have four high-end customers that make up your total income, and you're making not just enough money to live comfortably, but you have plenty of money left over to be able to invest in your future. And then let's say you lose one of those clients. You've just lost 25% of your business, possibly overnight, possibly without warning. Maybe the bottom really drops out and you lose two of them. That's 50% of your income lost within a single calendar year. Well, one of the things that's so attractive about multiple streams of online income is that the whole 100% is broken up into smaller pies. Truly, one slice of the pie is always going to probably be larger than the other slices. But as you continue to add additional slices in there, when you diversify within maybe a single category and you take advantage of things like automation or in some cases maybe outsourcing then you're creating a much more potentially stable type of income machine that can serve you for years to come. Now, all of these things are great in theory, but it's when you actually go to put these into practice that we learn what's involved with them. And it's no different for me. Even though I've been in business for a long time, every time I try something new, I'm not trying something new back in the past. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I can talk about these things with such clarity today because I've already experienced them. I'm looking back on them now. However, in the current time, you know, maybe I do have a little bit more advantage than some people do being able to see things from a broader perspective, but I'm living in the same reality that you are. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know where consumer behavior is going to suddenly change on the dime or if the bottom's going to fall out. I don't know any of those things. And so I have to make my plans based on the information that I have available, and I have to sort of diversify and be in a position where I'm ready, whatever it may be that comes. So when we look at uh, influencers also, I've noticed that some of the influencers, and we can call them personal brands, how they've changed over the years. For example, I used to read a blog written by a man named Michael Hyatt. He's still around, but he's kind of semi-retired. But he used to talk about building up a platform using WordPress, very WordPress-focused and oriented. He was very big in that niche. And then all of a sudden, he switched gears, got out of that totally, and got into 
the topic of leadership, brought his daughter on board and built a big company in the leadership space. And now this is somebody that had designed their own WordPress theme and really focused heavily on all of the basics of marketing in order to build a brand, regardless of whatever your topic was, online. And I think he wrote a book, it was back in 2012, but he only, as big as he became in that niche, I think he saw the writing on the wall and he got out of it and went into leadership instead because he more or less had, I, I guess you would say, the background for it. He was the CEO of a book publisher, and so he ticked a lot of boxes by his personal experience. Another person that I noticed, uh, Sandy Krakowski, she has the website arealchange.com. She was very focused in on social media marketing, had, a, I think, a Facebook following of over a million people, if I remember correctly, and over the last several years, I noticed that she, too, was getting away from teaching marketing and getting into things like uh, investing. And so I understand why people do this. A lot of times people who are, in, who are considered top influencers with millions of followers, they recognize the fact that they're starting to stagnate by staying with the same topic, that their growth has been stunted, that the people that made their journey with them over the past several years, they need something new and fresh. And if they don't provide it for them, then those same people will find what they're looking for elsewhere. And so, yes, you do have to kind of reinvent sometimes your focus over time. Sometimes you have to broaden the field. Sometimes you have to narrow it. But if you want to expand your audience and you've hit a plateau, something has to change. And some people that I know that were in the marketing field, I'm just using marketing, but we can apply this to anything. We can apply this to design. We can apply this to health. We can apply this, apply this to finance. Some people just get bored with staying with the same topics over time, and so they gradually move into other areas. My friend that I had mentioned earlier in the finance niche, he had spent his entire career there and was looking for more of a one-to-many type of system as he was in his late 50s. And he recognized the need also to niche down, so he decided to focus on people who were not quite at the retirement age yet, but they had recognized the fact that they didn't have enough money to retire completely, and when would be the best time for them to take Social Security? Should they take it as soon as they were eligible? Should they allow it to build up? And so he decided to focus on that niche because that was very specific, whereas just finance in general Again, one of those niches that was oversaturated and very hard to break into. Even if you're in it for a career, for your life, once you come online and get started, it's kind of like you're a newbie again as far as the online part of it goes. Now, let me conclude just by reminding you that we do have advantages today as online business owners that do put us in a unique position as compared with business owners in the past. For example, before the online world existed, business owners would they'd make their fortune selling in a local marketplace. And back then, it wasn't seen as a limitation. You worked in your town. You worked in your city. You worked in your district, wherever you lived. Today, we have the ability to go beyond the prospects in our towns or in our cities. We're not even limited by the people living in our state. Matter of fact, we're not limited at all. Language aside, we have the entire world that we could look to, turn to, to generate prospects going forward in perpetuity. Even if you can only find 500 people, think about this, in the entire world willing to spend $100 with you, that's still an extra $50,000. 
if your life depended on it and all you could do was work within your city or state, you'd probably be able to find 500 people willing to spend $100 with you. And if you put forth that kind of effort, I mean, you really, really worked it. It might take a while, but you'd be able to get it done. And yeah, it's all work at the end of the day, but we're not talking about going door to door. We're not talking about placing expensive ads. We're talking about the online world where the math really does work, where the prospects really are out there, innumerable in a lot of ways. The pool we have to choose from includes city, state, country, Europe, Asia, Africa, everywhere, North America, South America. You can find a 1,000 people worldwide to spend $100 with you a year. As Kevin Kelly wrote in that article that became very popular years ago, yet you have a 1,000 people, that's enough to make $100,000 a year. All they have to do is spend $100 with you a year. You get a 1,000 people, that's 100 k And if you think about it, you can do it on top of whatever it is you're already doing and add that to what you're already making. I don't want to make it seem difficult. I don't want to make it seem hard. I just want to place it out there so you can see the logic behind it. It's doable. You're not in a place right now where, regardless of what happens with the economy, where you should feel hopeless. As long as you have your internet connection, as long as you have whatever current value you bring to the marketplace, maybe it's the knowledge that you have into certain topics, maybe you're in health, finances, marketing, whatever. And yes, all of these areas are very saturated today, but there is most certainly an underserved, underfocused on audience out there within each of them that you can still reach. We see people doing it all the time. We just don't see it advertised because the truth is when people are really making money, they're not going to jump out there and put a course together and tell the whole world how to do what they're doing. No, they're going to take it as far as they can take it. They're going to make as much money as they can with it. And then they'll turn around and they'll say, here's how to do it. So just something to keep in the back of your mind. All right. I think that's about it for now. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you think it will help a friend, as always, please share the episode link with them. Share it on Facebook, X, used to be Twitter, or wherever else you may happen to be. Or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. Back episodes can be found there as well. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later.